The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. If you'd like to call into our program today, use our toll-free number 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send an email, the address is leah at comebacktoyoursenses.com. Now, here's health and wellness specialist, Leah Brenda Smith. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio on Voice America Variety and Project Freedom Radio Network. So pleased to be here today. And if you're looking for me on the net, you can find me at leahbrendasmith.com or on Facebook at Come Back to Your Senses Radio or Leah Brenda Smith. And I'm really pleased today to bring you this topic about religious or spiritual, really finding the common ground between religion and spirituality. And um, as, we, as we start off the top of the program here, I'd, I'd like to say that I am not a religious scholar, and nor am I a spiritual scholar. Yet, really, since my early childhood, I've been a student and later became a teacher of both religion and spirituality. Now, some of this time I was wholly focused on pursuing the connection with the divine through a religious lens, and other times I was more focused and sometimes even exclusively focused through a spiritual lens. And really, for me, the greatest of all of the times has been when I have had no sense of separation or no sense of difference or differentiation between um, being religious or being spiritual. So no distinction between religious or spiritual pursuits, but just seeing everything as, as a whole, as a bigger picture. And just uh, in terms of my background, I was born into a family of Orthodox Russian Jews on my father's side and devout Scottish Catholics on my mother's side. And my mother converted to Judaism, and my parents raised our family in the Jewish traditions. And like most of the secular Jews in my community, my family observed Shabbat by lighting the Shabbos candles and saying blessings over the bread and the wine, followed by a special meal. Now, we honored the traditions of Passover by using separate set of dishes and eating unleavened foods and looked forward to our family Hanukkah celebrations. And like most other secular Jews in our community, we went to synagogue during the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and observed the Jewish rituals surrounding you know, the regular life cycle events, like births and circumcision, 
bar bat mitzvahs, marriage, and and also the end-of-life rituals, the rituals of Shiva. You know, many of my siblings went to after school, you know, a Hebrew school. And my own exposure to going to Hebrew school was just in my youth, a very brief attendance when I was four years old in nursery, I guess. And I found that even though as a family we were not seeped in daily rituals or prayers or practices that are really the foundation of an observant Jewish life, like my grandparents, my family has always been a cornerstone of the Jewish community in terms of participating in Jewish values and supporting many Jewish causes and supporting Israel and, and being in support of Jewish causes in Israel both financially and politically. And then there was that echoed, you know, that echoed consciousness of my maternal uh, Christian side of my family. I witnessed my grandmother saying her prayers with her rosary. And instinctively as a child, I felt the truth behind that childhood song, Jesus Loves Me. And how, did, how, did, how do we know that? Well, of course, it's because the Bible, the Bible tells me so. You know, in grade five, I was given a tiny pocket-sized version of the New Testament. And I just loved reading from the Bible aloud in class. You know, especially I loved it when the teacher chose me to be the reader. Somehow reading the text out loud filled me with a great sense of awe and wonder and a great sense of, of being connected to something uh, greater and something that felt so wholesome. So I grew up knowing that Jesus was a Jew and that the meal that was depicted as the Last Supper in the Eastern traditions, the the Christian Easter traditions, was actually a Passover Seder. And I was aware that there was no Christianity in excess of like 300 years after the death of Jesus. And I felt so privileged. You know, I did have the opportunity to, to travel to Israel and stood in the room where they say that Christ and the disciples gathered for the Last Supper. And as a young adult in my early 20s living in Vancouver, I used to attend an evening service at the MCC, which is the Metropolitan Community Church. It was just three doors from my apartment. And in this congregation, members of the community were welcome to participate in the service. And so again, like in grade five, I loved that experience of reading passages from the New Testament out loud to the congregation and participated in the rituals of giving out the Holy Host and partaking of the, of the sacrament. And then years later, it was certainly oddly weird for my Jewish family members to witness me participate with my Christian family in receiving the Holy Sacrament while attending the wedding of one of my cousins. Yet within myself, I could see the relationship. I could see the direct line between the blessings on the wine and the bread that I had shared with my family during our Shabbat dinners and the partaking of the Holy Sacrament. You know, I was really fortunate as a young teenager 
I had uh, exceptional spiritual awakening through my involvement with the Institute of Applied Metaphysics. And that's where I learned my first meditation techniques and really started to understand the relationship that's always available to humanity through combining with universal life force energy. And that universal life force energy is the core of every, even the most infinitesimal part of both the seen and the unseen worlds. And you know, this, this really led me to a natural progression of immersing myself in various spiritual practices and traditions throughout all of my adult life. Uh, with Transcendental Meditation and Reiki and involving myself in practices and community with Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and Guru Dev and Sri Chimnoy and other practices such as yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong. And then also as a springboard from my Judaic Christian roots, I've studied and practiced different aspects of Buddhism, Buddhism, Zen, Islam, Sufism, the Baha'i faith, Native American spirituality. I, I really like uh, what Joel Olstein is doing in his, his ministry and his, his service. And more recently, I've immersed myself in a Vedic meditation sutra practice from Hinduism, which I've been learning through Deborah King from the Deborah King Center. In my 40s, when I returned to working with people with disabilities through Tamir, which is a local Jewish organization that provides service to people with developmental and other disabilities, really throughout the dozen years or so that I I, I worked there and studied and practiced and taught Judaism more so than I had in any of my previous years. It was through my job as a Judaic program supervisor that I assisted people with disabilities to learn about and practice and celebrate Jewish life. Through rituals like keeping kosher and honoring the Shabbat and bar bat mitzvah programs, holiday celebrations, and a Jewish choir. So naturally, I had that on-the-job kind of learning. I had to learn all of the prayers and rituals and songs, obviously, in order to be able to teach them to others and then also be able to make Judaic resources for them. So that was a, a really unexpected return to, um, to my Judaic roots like that through my job, which was really wonderful. And one of my favorite experiences during that time was assisting uh, people with disabilities to go to a, a um, uh, participate in a ritual called the Hakafot, which is uh, during Simchas Torah, which is a celebration of the Torah, when it's the, the end of the cycle of reading the Torah uh, before you start up again. You overlap the last portion with the first portion starting again at at a bare sheet, so that you're always reading the Torah. You never complete the process of reading. And during that evening at Simchas Torah, the folks from Tamir were able to walk around the synagogue in celebration carrying the Torah. It was really one of my most um, uh, memorable and precious moments, really, in, in practicing one of the, 
the rituals of Judaism with those precious folks. It was wonderful. You know, I always wondered why there was no mention of Jesus in Judaism. And it wasn't until 30 years later that I learned that Jesus used to be written in the books of the Jewish prophets. But as time went on and he, w- he was removed from the books because given the phenomena that was later created around his life and his death and the resurrection and later uh, a religion actually being birthed in his name, and that he no longer fit the profile of what the Jewish scholars deemed to be true of a Jewish prophet. And so that is why he was, uh, na- his name was removed from the books of the prophets. You know, and, and like many other people, I wasn't naturally drawn to the religious observance, in my case of Judaism, that I grew up with. And for other people, it's whatever their religion they grew up with. Yet I was always drawn to the spiritual traditions and the Jewish, the Jewish mysticism. And this led me to study Kabbalah and the Jewish healing movement, which was actually born out of the pursuit of people just like myself, who were born Jewish yet didn't connect with the religiosity. And so they began to pursue spirituality through other traditions. And then, at a later time, returned to Judaism with the knowledge and experience that they gleaned through these other spiritual practices and then bring that wisdom back through a Judaic framework. And that is really uh, was the beginning of the Jewish um, healing movement, if you like, or Jewish movement in healing. And this reminds me really of an experience that I had when, when I was in my 30s after I returned to Ottawa from Vancouver and uh, returned back to my Jewish community that I grew up in. And my brother Moisha offered to pay for my son Avi to go to Hebrew school. And during that time when my son was in Hebrew school, in the evenings I went through this period of time where I started reading uh, the Old Testament, starting with Bereshit, with Genesis, the story of creation. And I was so awestruck by the experience of reading the sacred text out loud. Again, reading sacred texts out loud is so moving for me. It was the calling forward the energy of the things that had occurred in history, now be they mythical accounts of events or actual events, regardless. You know, either way, the energy had a deep resonance in my body and in my heart, in my mind, connected me deeply on a soul level. And... I noticed that while I was reading, it occurred to me that perhaps the profound effect it was having on me was a result of my years of involvement with Reiki. And then as I read further, it occurred to me that perhaps Reiki had had such a profound effect on me because of my roots in Judaism. And then as I read further, it occurred to me that really there was no difference between them that creation is creation, and we're all born of the same universal life force energy, regardless of your religious background and interest, regardless of your spiritual orientation or interests. You know, we're all living spirit, and we all have an equal opportunity to access the living spirit through our own pursuit and relationship to our own individual awareness, 
which is intrinsically connected to all of life, to the whole of creation. So there is a, a real common, common ground in terms of religion and spirituality. Regardless of the content of the religious practice or the spiritual practice, and that is that we are all living spirit equally. We all have that equal opportunity to access the living spirit. And we can do this through our own pursuit, whether it is through a, a spiritual practice or religious practice, whether it's through silence, but through our own individual awareness we can recognize that we are intrinsically connected to all of life. Now, there's a uh, quote that I found from Ayanla Van Zandt that sums this up really nicely. She says that there are only two emotions, love and fear. Love is divine. Love is the activity of God. And the only energy in which God exists. Fear, on the other hand, is a tool of the ego, which is the foundation of the belief that we are separate from God, separate from each other, and generally inferior or inadequate. Now, some would suggest that the pursuit of religion or spirituality offers an equal opportunity to connect with the essence of divine love. That is a common ground. Equally, religion or spirituality to connect with the essence of divine love, with the essence of creation. And there is that sense that through religion one is given rituals or a form or a format to follow to help you to connect with the living spirit in all things. And there is a sense that spirituality encourages the individual to connect directly with the essence or vibration of this energy through your own living spirit which dwells within you. You know, it's interesting. I wanted to share with you what really prompted me or inspired me to choose this topic for today's show on religion and spirituality. And it was really a quote I, I saw a couple of weeks ago from Deepak Chopra in which he said that religion is a belief. Religion is a belief in someone else's experience. And spirituality is having your own experience. And he goes on to say that when it comes to your spirituality, he asks, asks, ask yourself this question. Are you open-minded or are you set in your beliefs? You know, now more than ever, people everywhere are expanding their views of religion and spirituality. And Deepak says that this can really lead us to deeper love and personal insight, and a renewed hope for the future. You know, there was recently a poll that revealed new responses about spirituality in America. And when people were asked if they'd ever had a religious or mystical experience, more people said yes than no. 
And one definition of a religious or mystical experience is a moment of sudden religious insight or awakening. And human beings are a living spirit. And because of that, spiritual experiences can be a part of normal, just, just a normal part of daily living. So in larger numbers than ever noted before, um, believing Christians reported that they have adopted aspects of Eastern philosophies and New Age thought. And any time that closed belief systems are being exchanged with, for more expanded awareness, then that's really a good indication of a shift in consciousness. Because expanded awareness is really of the utmost, and it can be the focus for both religious and spiritual practices. It can be that motivation. It can be that sense of expanding your awareness, some choosing to do it through following religious approaches and others through spiritual approaches. Because without expanding awareness, not only are we cut off from spiritual experiences, we're also cut off from those deeper experiences of love and compassion and intimacy that we share with each other, and really even our own personal insights. You know, clearly consciousness evolves. You can think of that just like the awareness of a toddler. You know, in the beginning it's very small awareness, in the beginning of life's journey, and then it leads to greater awareness as the toddler grows and uh, into adulthood. And individual evolution or personal growth, maybe it's voluntary. It's something that you choose to focus upon in order to grow, you know, to grow your personal insight and to grow your wisdom and even to cultivate love and compassion. And this is true for everyone, whether you choose religion or spirituality or both. Now, the brain can adapt to all of these changing states and in turn really has a profoundly calming effect on our physiology, whether this happens through religious observance or through spiritual practices. Now, it's said that experiments were done with Tibetan monks that have shown that their brain functioning is different and more powerful in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the place where higher thought is conceived or higher thought is received. You know, as an example, you could think of this, our early ancestors, they spoke uh, simple language and uh, were not involved with complex things like we are today in terms of math and science and physics and things like that. But then as modern humans began to pursue these things, the brain kept up. The brain was able to adapt and to, and to be involved with complex mathematical equations and science and neurophysics and multiple languages and all these different things that 
have really become part of our natural world and natural functioning of the brain. And the same thing you could think of in terms of spiritual experience. If you want to have spiritual experiences and believe that higher consciousness is real, then your brain will adapt so that you'll be able to allow advanced spiritual experiences that traditionally belonged only to saints and sages. And these experiences are available whether you take a path of spirituality or a path of religion or a mixed path of some of each, a little of this and a little of that. I like that approach personally, but we're all different. We like different things and different ways of approaching things. But you could think really of the saints and the sages and the mystics as, as the pioneers that traveled down unknown paths. And they put the roads in, right? Their guidance has paved the way for others who are interested in similar pursuits. And really, as a humanity, we seem to have reached a place of spiritual opening, as more people continue to delve into the field of consciousness, then what becomes available through this field continues to expand and to open as well. And as this occurs, then more and more people will be inclined to even walk towards similar, similar expansion of consciousness. And then as this shift continues to occur then there'll naturally be less confusion and resistance about consciousness. And at some point, I suppose we won't even remember a time when that wasn't what was the natural instinctive inclination of humanity to be in the pursuit of expanded awareness and expanded consciousness. You know, Again, this opportunity for expanded awareness, it's available to everyone, whether through spiritual pursuits, religious pursuits, through nature, through science, through creativity, through the arts, through sports, through anything where you put your focus and your discipline and your sense of commitment to want to excel and be the best that you can be. really gives a, a framework or a platform for the opportunity, the opportunity for expanded awareness. Anytime we tune our minds and our hearts towards an expanded sense of love and compassion, and then we activate our greater connection to all things. And then there is a natural expanse on an individual level, and then also on a more collective level, or the level of collective consciousness. So there seems to be really a greater and natural movement towards expanded individual awareness. And just as there are many that choose to revitalize their life through the pursuit of the human spirit, through many spiritual practices, there have become more and more available to seekers in the West. And many people are also being drawn to an expanded sense of awareness that's available through some of the more modern approaches to organized religions. And you see young families voluntarily, 
voluntarily wanting to go and participate in religious practices and religious observance. People are choosing to participate in religious practices from a place of their own expanded sense of spiritual connection and then expressing their passion through their religious affiliation rather than solely looking for the spiritual connection through the religious rituals and practices. They're bringing their spiritual connection to the observance and practices of their religion. So really, in reality, consciousness is always the key to enhancing a greater effect. It's not the ritual or practices in and of themselves that allows for a greater experience of connection and expansion, but it's the way that an individual brings themselves to the experience that makes the difference. You know, anybody can recite uh, religious prayer by rote day in and day out without a sense of connection with the divine, and then simply have it be more of an experience of one might refer to as lip service or or an obligation of something that they need to do with no heart or soul in it. You know, prayer, whether it's performed through a religious or spiritual context, really has, it's really a two-part process, if you like, or at least a two-part process. Here are two parts I'm going to focus on. And one is that It's the way that you bring yourself to the prayer, the way that you tune your own life force energy. And that is the part that creates the context, if you like, or the energy signature for the prayer. And then there's the ritual or the recitation of the prayer, which is the content of the prayer. And that would be true whether it's a um, a pre-prescribed prayer or one that you make up in the moment. Both are are valid, uh, beautiful approaches to prayer. And both can be um, used and associated with through either spiritual practices or religious practices. So whether you are religious in your orientation or spiritual in your orientation or both, prayer or any other ritual or practice that one performs can be both religious and or spiritual, depending on the way that you bring yourself to the experience. So it would seem that consciousness or awareness is the determining factor, the common ground, whether you are religious or spiritual. You know, for many people that have a spiritual philosophy, the encouragement is to seek fulfillment and spirituality within ourselves and not necessarily look for external guidance from organized religion. And uh, Deepak has been noted to say that God is not an external deity, but the internal intelligence within you that mirrors the wisdom of the cosmos. Now, so much of the spirituality that's practiced, and certainly in North America, 
comes from a blending of elements of Eastern philosophy, Native American spirituality, and New Age thinking and practices. And the intent, really, with all of this is to help individuals to become happier, healthier, and more peaceful. And what better way is there on an individual level to really be able to participate in making a contribution to having a happier, healthier, and more peaceful humanity and happier and healthier and more peaceful planet? You know, and Deepak also suggests that we have a completely different understanding of the world today than we get from religious scriptures. In his view, religion is just cultural mythology. He suggests that we are at a particular phase of evolution in our understanding both of the cosmos and ourselves, that we need to step into a new evolution of spirituality. You know, some would suggest that ideally spirituality emanates from religion, and that religion creates a safe, encouraging environment in which spirituality emerges and grows. Religion is form. It's tradition, doctrine, rites, and rituals. And some say that spirituality is content. It's the communion with the divine, seeing the holy in all creatures and objects. Yet we all know that that's not always the case. You know, religion is not always positive and affirming and affirming of the individual. And it can result in the conquest of form over content, which can easily result in rituals without meaning. And religion can become just the glorification of dogma. And certainly spirituality at its worst can be mindless and egotistical or, or uh, filled with pride of the individual. And spirituality can be valuable in that it points out that the physical world is not all there is. And human beings are not only material, but also possess a soul and a spirit. And there is a spiritual world around us which we should be aware of. And the true value of spirituality is that it points to that fact, that there's something beyond the physical world that we are all intrinsically connected to. Intrinsically connected to something that we're all connected to, that we're all made of. You know, here, let's just run through some definitions of religion and spirituality. And, and here's some things from a Random House uh, a Dictionary, where they talk about that religion is concerned of what exists beyond the physical world, operating through faith and intuition as opposed to reason. And generally, this includes the idea of the existence of a single being or a group of beings, an e- eternal principle or transcendental spiritual rea- entity that's created the world, mm, that governs it and controls its destinies, or that intervenes occasionally in the natural course of history. 
religion is seen as a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices that are generally agreed upon by a number of persons in, within one sect. And the idea that ritual prayer and spiritual exercises or certain principles and conduct arise naturally as a human response to the belief in such a being or eternal principle. And then in spirituality, it's a, um, this concept is a little more diffused, if you like, with less agreement regarding its meaning, but it synthesizes really a number of definitions of spirituality uh, coming from literature or theology or social science or the helping fields. You know, that according to, that, that really spirituality is an internal process of seeking personal authenticity, genuineness, and a wholeness as an aspect of our the development of our identity. It's the process of continually transcending one's current focus, a fo- away from being egocentric, and it's d- the development of a greater connectedness to the self and others through relationships and union with community. It's the process of deriving meaning, purpose, and direction in one's life, and involves an increasing openness to exploring a relationship with an intangible and pervasive power or essence or center of value that exists beyond human existence and rational human knowing. So even in the definitions, we can see areas of overlapping You know, both religion and spirituality are concerned with that which exists beyond the earthly, rational, and visible universe. They both attempt to provide a means for understanding or knowing that which lies beyond a physical world that's bound by time and space. And in both there is that aspect of a supreme being In religion and in spirituality, there can be an openness to the Supreme Being, even perhaps a belief that something exists beyond what we can see, but also more of a tentativeness of not uh, definitively defining that. Yet a spiritually developed religious person may very well identify that entity as God, whereas a spiritually developed non-religious person may either have no means or no need to define to define that which lies beyond and its notion of beyond the natural world is the supernatural so that differentiating the concept of spiritual development from personal development And another common ground, if you like, in both the definition is the focus on inactivity. Religion, the actions embodied in rituals and prayers and exercises. Whereas each of the descriptors of spirituality includes words that have a kind of an action, a moving kind of action, like including processes and transcending and developing, delving and exploring. Oh, sounds like wonderful adventure. <laughs> <laughs> and both both definitions are 
approaches make reference to external and internal dimensions. However, religion begins as, and and it's for the most part, an external phenomenon. Its primary concern is external to the visible world. And religion can exist separate and apart from the individual, but spirituality does not. Spirituality begins and is perpetually an, an internal process. So we have in spirituality something that is more personal rather than public in its search for meaning and transcendence and the wholeness, the purpose, and the spirit that are all animated inside, essentially in the core of a person's being. So it is both with the individual and transcended beyond the individual. So there's lots of common ground we see. (laughs) You know, the the two definitions, you also see the potential for great alignment and interaction and overlap. Religion with its beliefs and practices, its rituals and prayers, and spiritual exercises can be and is for many people a wonderful means through which they can explore their spirituality and develop spiritually. It can provide people with a language and a context and a community where people can pursue their spiritual journey. And with all things, definitions really only tell part of the story. In so many instances, religions and people acting in the name of some religion have behaved in ways that are hostile, we all know that, to the notions of genuineness and wholeness, and go against that which is transcendent, and the sense of connectedness that are expressed in the definitions of spirituality. You know, our human history is filled with stories of people being oppressed and abused and murdered in the name of some religions or its supreme being, or its doctrine, certainly in Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Hinduism. You know, they have all in some way condoned or supported brutal anti-spiritual actions, if you like. And these things occur partially because beliefs and practices, which may at one point have begun in a way that was spiritually grounded, they become modified and the dogma and the doctrines come more forward. And the dynamic spiritual aspect of the religion of the earlier devotees was lost or repressed. And that's where we see that sense of religion and spirituality becoming disconnected rather than a sense of a connection and a commonality between them. Some would say that Religion gives you the, um, the form for the practices and that uh, spirituality is then your individual pursuit, um, what you're connecting with as you perform these rituals and practices. And some would say that religion is spiritual and spirituality is religious that just one tends to be more personal than private and the other tends to be more public. 
neither religion or spirituality is better or worse than the other. It can all be boiled down to individual preferences. Just as some people are more routine-oriented and would be lost without the framework of a predictable routine to follow, where others feel quite restricted by a set pattern or routine and prefer to follow more of an internal flow in the way that you do things and in a way that you're not reliant on a prescribed, if you like, agenda. (laughs) You know, my late father used to say, different strokes for different folks. And that was his way, really, of indicating that his own beliefs were being stretched. Yet he was willing to find a way to be inclusive, willing to find a way to be inclusive of points of view that were not the same as his. And clearly, especially in his later years, you know, as long as he was free to follow what was right for him, then he was willing to extend a gracious attitude towards others and allow them to do the same thing. At least that was certainly my experience of my father and and came out uh, uh, many times in our interactions with, with each other. You know, a person doesn't have to be religious in order to be spiritual. And many people that consider themselves spiritual do not subscribe to any form of traditional religious practice. They acknowledge that there's something other than the physical world, but they do not necessarily practice any conventional religious belief. And then there are also many religious people that also consider themselves to be very spiritual. You know, that spirituality is awareness of a higher being and the existence of a non-physical world. Which is true for many religious people and is true for many spiritual people. Some suggest really that religious doctrines are taught rather than being an innate feeling and that individuals are born with their own sense of spirituality, but Individuals are not born with religion. You know, religious beliefs are considered to be a vehicle that's used to practice spirituality. It's considered to be what an individual believes based on a particular doctrine. Interesting. There's lots of common ground, and I think we have lots of uh, hangover, so to speak, uh, attitudes about religion and even about spirituality. Just be... Because of our history, (laughs) because of things that have gone before us, and because people were operating with less awareness, less consciousness in earlier times. And in these times where consciousness and awareness has been more flooded into people's reality, it gives them more opportunity to see things in a new way, to approach religion and to approach spirituality in a new way, with new energy, You know, um, a good approach, really, if you think of this, is to, is to trust, trust the teaching. Put your trust in the teaching and, and not necessarily in the teacher per se. So if the teaching and the practices associated with it enhance the welfare of a person and the planet, then it doesn't matter if a teacher speaks for a religion or not. So, regarding spiritual teachers in general, 
And as long as the teacher shows respect and compassion for others and encourages your personal inquiry and focuses the attention on the teaching rather than on himself or herself and teaches others to do the same, then clearly you are in a good place. You know, religious institutions that do harm are those that insist that you surrender your will to them rather than to God. Clergy who do harm are those that insist that you worship them rather than having the focus on God. And when a religious ins- a religion insists that it speaks for God and asserts that by rejecting that, you are rejecting God, then that's not really healthy for anybody. So if you are inclined to follow a religious practice, then you want to feel comfortable to know that it points beyond itself to a God, a loving God, and to justice and personal autonomy and freedom. You know, if you need clergy, make sure that you, that they, that they, that you are free, that you are free to have your own relationship with God, that they free you to that rather than chain you to themselves and whatever their view of God is. (laughs) I've often heard people say that um, uh, all religions seem to be saying the same thing. You know, and uh, and I remember hearing that so many times from people, and my response was always that the feeling of I I always felt relieved and not suspicious when I hear the same thing that's repeated across religions or across spiritual practices. I always feel that it's good indication when you can recognize the same truth, even when it's wrapped in different packages. You know, truth has its own energy and its own resonance. And that is true whether it's coming through a spiritual context or a religious context. That is very true. And you know, spirituality has been misunderstood. Religion has been misunderstood. And spirituality is often misunderstood as its um, practices include meditation and contemplation and direct communication with a universal consciousness, if you like. And at one time, Pope John Paul condemned meditation and yoga as immoral and deluding and even sinful. Yet spirituality is simply the discovery of our authentic self without the need for really any trimmings or any labels or any window dressing, so to speak. And this can give us a really rich sense and source of values and a deeper meaning to life. You know, whatever our religion is or whatever our spiritual practice is. So in the seeking of meaning in religion and spirituality, they do come together. Spirituality highlights qualities such as caring and kindness and compassion, tolerance and service and community. And its truest sense, so does religion. But where religion is defined by its tradition and teachings, spirituality is defined by what is real in our own experience 
arising from an inner search within ourselves and the finding really of our own truth. So where religion tends to breed separation, you know, that idea or that attitude of this religion versus that one, or my God's the only real God, or my values are better than your values. Spirituality really sees all people as equal, not as labels or isms and We are spiritual beings whose purpose is to awaken to our true nature. You think of it, Buddha wasn't Buddhist and Jesus wasn't a Christian. You know, these great teachers uh, didn't create religion. They just encouraged people to look within. They recognized the truth that's always there, always present, and sometimes easily forgotten. But we're all living spirit. And everyone possesses an equal spark of the divine. You know, when the Dalai Lama was asked, what can we do as individuals to help mankind to awaken to caring and kindness? He talked about how people of different religions should come together in peace and respect and talk openly, honoring each other's differences and similarities. And this is a great example, he said, of religion and spirituality coming together. You know, people who are spiritual but not religious are seekers open to any teacher, teaching or technique that really is going to cultivate that compassion and justice in themselves and in the world. They're not concerned with religious claims or arguments about the afterlife or who is saved or who is damned. And likely, spiritual people that are not religious can find wisdom in both Christ and Buddha and will refuse to be limited to one or to either. And when people say that they are spiritual but not religious... I encourage you to ask them to share their deepest values because that's where you'll find the common ground. The common ground is in the values. And in the practice of religion or spirituality, the common ground is in the commitment and the discipline, the daily practice, the surrender to the divine, if you like, and then also the openness in ourselves to love and compassion love and compassion, and forgiveness. So whether it's, as my dad says, different strokes for different folks, whether it's spirituality that turns your crank or religion that gets you going in the morning, there is lots of common ground. And you can be both spiritual and religious, or spiritual, or religious, or both. It has been uh, been a pleasure really to... Uh, speak with you today about religion and spirituality, two of my favorite subjects. And uh, I encourage you to think about some of these things and help yourself to find what your truth is, to find what your authentic path is in the flow of you connecting with the living spirit that is so precious and alive within yourself and everyone you know. I thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. And I am your ever-grateful host, Leah Brenda-Smith. And until next time, I encourage you to relax and enjoy life. 
We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.